Welcome to Ag PhD Radio. You're joining us live right now. We're just finishing up the Ag PhD Soils Clinic. We've got a live audience here at the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site. And you're like, wait, you're at the Ag PhD Field Day site? Isn't it kind of cold? Yeah, it was below zero outside this morning. We're all inside in, in nice, uh, comfortable weather here. Uh, inside the Morton Center and talking about soils. And I, I made a comment towards the end of the day here, uh, and I'll let you talk too, Brian, but uh, just how fun it gets to be when you start understanding what's going on in your soils because now instead of just, wow, I can't figure out why I'm not getting yield in these parts of my fields, now you know what the answers are and you can start making changes that are going to improve your profitability and make farming even more fun. I, I love farming. But I love raising great crops. And if I can raise great crops across my ground, regardless of the weather conditions, that's the most fun I can think of having. Hey, who do we have, uh, Alex, running the microphone here for us? Got okay. McCoy yep. up front here. All right. Uh, oh. So, yep. Matt's so, over here. Wow. Yep. Matthew, so, Matthew's working. I love it. Yeah. Hey, uh, Alex, can you turn up my sound in my headphones a little bit? There we go. Uh, so if you've got a question for us, raise your hand. Otherwise, Darren, let's hit those questions that we got in on the live stream. We got uh, a whole bunch of them, and uh, I apologize. We've... Uh, we've had a lot to cover here today, so we haven't been hitting many of those questions yet. But again, if you got a question, raise your hand. One of our people will come around to you with the mic. Okay, uh, let's go way back then and, and uh, hit a nitrogen question here. So uh, Mark asked the question, you guys talked about mineralization for each 1% of organic matter, yep. 20 to 30 pounds of nitrogen, 4 to 7 pounds of phosphate, et cetera. Yep. Uh, is that renewable each year based yes. on mineralization? Yes. Assuming you keep the same percentage of organic yes. matter. Every year you'll get that. Okay. Yep. All right. Uh, we got our first question right over here. If you could just give us your first name and the state you're from, that'd be great. Hi, my name is Kent from Wisconsin. Uh, my question is, do you have any issues with, um, you know, you, get, you take a pre-side dress nitrate test and yep. you use those parts brilliance and, you know, to try to make a decision and you still wind up, you know, short on nitrogen as if it wasn't all available or some kind of form that wasn't available to the plant? Uh, can that happen? Of course it can, because you could also have loss at that point too. So you could get a big rain, I mean, the next day, and all of a sudden you lose some of your nitrogen. So let's put it this way. As farmers, we're gamblers, okay? Now, if let's say you went to Las Vegas and you knew that the odds were going to be in your favor, you'd go every weekend. But when you know that you go there and the odds are against you, you hardly ever want to go back. So all we're trying to do when we talk about almost anything agronomically speaking is we're trying to help you get the odds in your favor. So we, we want to get an understanding with our pre-cidrus nitrate test. What do we have in the soil? We'd also like to know in the background, hey, what did our test show us from last fall, the year before, whatever, in terms of how much organic matter do we have in that field? And, and try to start melding all those things together to say, okay, I think I'm going to go for this kind of yield. This is what I got in the soil. This is how much nitrogen I need to meet my yield. Now I feel pretty comfortable I can make this application. But, you know, it's one of the things I bring up to people all the time. When you're doing the pre cidrus nitrate test, let's say your, your crop is knee-high. At that point, do you know if it's going to be 200 bushels or 220 or 180? Or maybe it's 300. Maybe it's a record. I don't know. I don't know what the weather's going to bring. I don't know, you know, any of those other factors. So it's always a gamble to some degree. So, yes, I, I wish there was a better way we could dial that in further. 
but it's it's very very challenging. Okay, uh, get a question from Jonathan. He said, "My soil lab actually puts nutrients in pounds per acre." Excellent. But how do I compare to some of the parts per million numbers that you talk about? How do I convert pounds per acre back to parts per million? Divide by two if it's a six-inch test. Yep, pretty simple there. Uh, just yeah, just simple math thing. Next one, Dan said, "You guys talked about target levels for heavier soils and target levels for lighter soils." Where do you fall in for medium soils? In between. <laughs> Somewhere in between, probably. Yeah, and, and that's something that you kind of play with, too, of, of figuring out what, what works for you and where are you getting that kind of yield response. But, yeah, I, I agree on the medium soils. You know, the, the nutrients that don't leach, you can probably tend towards some of what we're doing on the higher soils. But yeah. the, the ones that have leachables... Uh, then you might watch it a little bit more. All right, we got another question in the back there. Go ahead, sir. Again, if you give us your first name and the state you're from, that'd be great. Uh, my name is Murray. I'm from Iowa. Yep. Um, you talked about sampling to 24 inches for nitrogen testing. Yep. Your soil probe goes what? Tw 10, 12 inches. Yep. How depends, do you get below depends on that? what your probe is. Well, the other thing you can do with that probe is you can break off that footstep and you can go as deep as you want to go. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but well, uh, we I, I can't push that hard without the footstep. <laughs> yep, there there are different uh, types of probes. A lot of times it might be some kind of drill yeah, or some something. Yeah, some kind of so. screw type probe. Yep. So you could just talk to our do people have, in the back. Do we have any of those in the back? By any chance? I don't know. Just yep. But just just talk to our people back there. But yeah, that's typically what we're doing is just using a different probe. We're not doing that on a very regular basis. It's not like it's every sample or anything. Okay. Um, Question from Ryan. If you have poor light soils with a yield goal of only 135 bushel for corn, does it still pay to put on micros? Yeah, you absolutely want to have all those essential nutrients in optimum quantities for whatever yield goal you're at. So if you say, hey, realistically, I'm only getting 135, maybe you make sure you've got all the P and K and micros for 150 bushel corn out there, just in case everything goes right for you and you have 10% above what your normal yield is. Now, I appreciate the comment where he's honest and says, hey, this is poor soil, but the thing is, and part of why we're here today is we want to take poor soil and make it better. So I can't fix, we can't fix uh, Mother Nature, but if, let's say, it got irrigated at some point, light soil is amazing, can be amazing. I mean, you look at some of the yields that people are pulling off on three CEC ground, it's incredible on pure sand. So it, it, it can be changed. I guess that's probably the biggest thing that I would say there. But yeah, we got to be careful if it's non-irrigated and it's sand, then it's the same thing like we have on our farm. We just cut everything back. And you notice some of these things we have in ratio, like phosphorus to zinc, phosphorus to copper. The less phosphorus you have, the less zinc and copper and micronutrients you can get by with in a lot of cases. Talking soils today because we're just wrapping up the Ag PhD Soils Clinic. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. My mom's got a new case IH tractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Ship like a race car, steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out caseih.com. 
Planting preparation starts as soon as harvest ends. So do successful at-plant strategies. Put time on your side with at-plant inputs, insights, and innovations that help you make the most of next season's planting pass. You're already thinking about seed, inputs, and crop protection when you plan your season. Include them all in your planter to give yourself an at-plant advantage that pays off at harvest. Always read and follow all label directions. How can Naturals products help you raise bigger and better crops? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. Biologicals, or naturals as we call them, are impacting every facet of agriculture today, and that will only grow in the future. That's why we're devoting a full day to our Ag PhD Naturals workshop, Wednesday, February 7th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of Naturals products, and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. Can you predict the future? I can't. That's why when I'm planting soybeans, I treat with Heads Up Seed Treatment. With more than 15 years of research, Heads Up offers proven protection against both white mold and sudden death syndrome. So no matter what the year throws at you, you've already taken that first step to be prepared. Don't let your beans suffer from disease when they're just starting to look their best. Tell your seed dealer you need Heads Up Seed Treatment. Learn more at headsupst.com. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Today we are not taking your phone calls, but if you have a question, you can email us radio at agphd.com. The reason it's a little different is we're doing a live event here following the Ag PhD Soils Clinic, and we've got an audience here in the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site, and we'll get back to questions from our audience right now. Yeah, I'm Justin from Nebraska, and I was see the difference between MAP and DAP, those are pHs. Yep. How much would a guy have to apply before it actually started moving the soil pH? <laughs> a lot more than you're going to use. So I wouldn't worry about trying to move the soil pH, but just understand, look, if you've got high pH, for example, would I prefer to use MAP? Of course I would. But, you know, like this year where we were getting our phosphorus, they're like, yep, we don't have any MAP for you. We're going to give you DAP. So even on our high pH ground, we use some DAP. It's not the end of the world. I'm not that worried about it. It's not like we were actually going to really change the pH with our MAP use or anything like that. Uh, but we just see a slight advantage. That's just why we're sharing it. Yep. yep. Another question over here. Uh, Mark from Minnesota. Do you have any experience with pelletized lime from a quarry compared to like sugar beet or water treatment lime? Yeah, we do. Uh, so we use pelletized lime sometimes when we have smaller needs in just a few areas in some fields because it's very easy for us to go spread it ourselves with our own fertilizer spreader, no big deal. The advantage they talk about a lot of times with the pelletized lime is it's a pretty fine lime, it's pretty quickly available, and you can spread it yourself if you would like to. So for us though, with the water treatment lime we've been getting, I have not found any lime that's any finer than that. It's really good stuff. So when we need bigger quantities on bigger acres, that's a lot of times what we end up going with in our situation because of where we're at. Uh, with the sugar beet lime, off the top of my head, I don't remember how fine some of our tests have shown that's been. But I, what we're always going to encourage you to do is run a test on whatever lime you're going to get and then start doing a little analysis on, okay, is it worth it to spend this money 
or is it not? So with the pelletized line, very often we're talking about putting on 200, 300, 400 pounds. Whereas when you start thinking about the sugar beet lime, it's very common for guys to talk about six or 10 tons per acre. Not that you have to put that much on, but if you really have a lot of pH change that's needed, then putting on those bigger quantities can help uh, you get by for a longer period of time. With the pelletized lime, we're usually talking about a, a much more short-term fix. Hey, uh, this goes right along with Derek had a question. He said, if it takes longer for ag lime to break down, can you or should you add some pelletized lime to help in the first year? Well, it depends a little bit on how fine that ag lime is. If it was very fine, then I don't know that having the pelletized lime would help you. If it's not very fine, then yes, adding a little bit of pelletized would be an advantage, but most likely then that's going to mean a separate trip from somebody. So, you know, now you've got the cost of the extra application. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying there's anything necessarily bad with pelletized lime. It's just it costs more per pound in a lot of cases, not in all. Uh, but the nice thing is it's available right now. But because of the cost, a lot of times people are just putting on lower rates. Well, and in some areas, they don't have access to uh, lime core or yep. uh, uh, yeah, lime water quarry. treatment. Or so, so, yeah, look for water treatment plant lime as an alternative in some of those areas, too. If you've got any larger cities next to you, they don't even have to be that big. 10,000 people, 20,000 people, they may have that as part of their water treatment. All right. Another Wisconsin question here. Yes, I'm Caleb. I'm from Wisconsin, and at our farm, we have a large supply of poultry litter. Would like to put that onto upcoming soybeans yep. to prevent lodging. Should I lower my populations or lower the tons per acre? Well, it could potentially be both. You know how high your potassium levels are currently? <laughs> well, we haven't like done quite an like an analysis in a few years, so not really. Okay, so that's really my first question is, well, what's our soil test saying? So, so, so for, for example, example say, say you had 7 or 8% base saturation K and you had heavy ground, worried. you got all kinds of potassium, yeah, not you're worried. probably going to be fine. But say it was 1% and you're like, ooh, I'm really short in that. Now putting out a bunch of nitrogen could be negative towards that. And yeah, in that case, lowering plant population will definitely help. Yep. I mean, obviously spreading less of the poultry litter would help too, yep. but good luck trying to convince your parents or whoever you're farming with that that's a good idea because they're going to say, well, I can get this poultry litter. Here's what it's going to cost me. And it's got tons of fertility. So I want to do that. But this is exactly why having the soil test is powerful information. Because if you show them the soil test and you go, look, we're at 1% base saturation K and we've got 100 parts per million out here. Um, our odds of having lodging are extremely high because our potassium is so low. So we've got to cut back our planting population because of that. And we really can't put a lot of the poultry litter out this year. Next year we can if we're going to go to corn. Now, but even then, we've got to be careful about planting population with corn too. Because, well, just like in our example today, 1% base saturation K, 36,000 plants per acre, plants blew down. And I would expect that. So you got to cut your population anytime the, you got low K. The other thing that I could do in that situation, if I could do a two by two, I'd put on some sure K liquid, uh, highly available K, try and drive as much as I can. Soybeans have roots that would fill a pop can. So you've got to try and throw fertility in that pop can if you can. If you throw it 15 inches away from where your beans are at, it's going to take them a while to get enough roots over there to really proliferate and take that K in. But I don't want to put a whole bunch in the furrow. 
I would put it in a two by two if I could. Uh, and, and that way I can access some K and hopefully get by for the year. Yeah, yeah, but even so, you can't go nuts on your nitrogen because that's not going to completely solve a problem. It's going to help feed the plant, don't get me wrong, and you get more yield that way, but to totally fix a so, lodging problem. So the safe bet then is put the poultry tough. litter out where you're going to have corn. Well, yeah, but again, I'd like to see the soil test, and then I have a lot better understanding. So that's why I'm trying to give you the parameters. Low K, I'm going to say cut your planting population, cut your rate on the poultry litter. If you've got high levels of K, anything above 4 is good. Anything above 6 is great. And I, then you have no, almost no risk. Yep. All right, thanks for the question. Uh, i got another one over here somewhere. Where did he go? There's Matt. Good. Okay, Bennett from Minnesota. I had a question if we should be adding beet lime to lower the magnesium percentage in soils that already have a higher pH. Yep, um, you, you can if you would like to. What we have found is with, if we're just simply talking about that calcium to magnesium and the percentage and getting that right, um, it's going to be tough to justify the cost. Over time, over the next 50 years, sure, it'd be great and you'll get a little bit more production when you've got your calcium and your magnesium in about the right ratio. Uh, but the advantage to the sugar beet lime is you're not just putting calcium out there, you're getting phosphorus and some other nutrients. So I would be more inclined if it was uh, sugar beet lime than if it was regular ag lime is what I'm trying to say. So would I be interested in looking at that? I would be interested. I'd want to see the soil test, but... I would be interested. Yep. Okay, I do have the soil test. And okay. We're looking at our best field is like uh, 33 magnesium yep. and a pH of 6.7. Okay. Would you recommend putting lime on that? Uh, how high is the calcium percentage? Say 57 or oh. 58. Yep. yep. Okay, so would I put some on? Yes, I would. Uh, but like we say all the time, I'm trying stuff on a smaller scale. So if it's me, I might put a ton on a fair amount of acres. I might put five tons or, you know, something like that on just a few acres. And let's just see what ends up happening here over time. Uh, and and I, I guess, again, I'd say the big advantage is you're going to get phosphorus especially and some other nutrients there. But, yeah, I don't want to get too carried away because the higher the rate of that lime you put out there, the more tie-up you're going to have of some other nutrients too in the short term, things like iron, for example. And iron deficiency becomes a, a big deal because like Darren was talking about earlier, the iron ends up in the wrong form in that high pH soil. So what I'm saying is if, sh if soybeans are, for example, in your rotation, well, the next time you go to soybeans, if you have over-limed and now you've made iron even less available, um, you could have even more problem with your IDC. So we got to be a little careful with it, and that, that would be my advice. So I'm interested, but I'm not going to go nuts. Yeah, we had, had some super high mag ground, and that's what Brian was talking about, kind of overdoing some of the lime applications. We, we put quite a bit out there. We'll, we'll talk more about that because uh, I know we got some other lime questions coming up. We're wrapping up the Ag PhD Soils Clinic here on Ag PhD Radio. Stay tuned. If you look close enough, you can see the hidden potential within your fields. That's why an agro-liquid nutrition plan starts with the crop and identifies the precise combination of primary nutrients while focusing on the support of secondary and micronutrients. So every nutrient is working in harmony for your crop to reach its full potential, maximizing growth while offering lower use rates 
Apply less, expect more, precisely. Find an AgroLiquid dealer at agroliquid.com. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Water Hemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce Herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll answer that question at our free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop Thursday, February 8th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep into your best options for control of yield-robbing pests, trade options including Extend Flex and Enlist, Fertility, and much more. If you want to make raising beans more lucrative and more fun, come to the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com. Join us in Houston for Commodity Classic, America's largest farmer-led, farmer-focused agricultural and educational event, New Frontiers in Agriculture. February 28th through March 2nd, 2024. Houston, we have no problem. Are you ready for better efficiency, more productivity, higher yields? Then you're ready for John Deere Precision Technology, which starts with three core pieces. First, a G5 display gives fast views of your work and a window to future technology. A Starfire receiver gives you sub-inch repeatable accuracy without an RTK base station. And a JD-Link modem gives you a live view of your entire operation. Get precise and talk with your John Deere dealer or visit johndeere.com backslash face. Thanks for listening to Ag PhD Radio today. We really appreciate it. Uh, and we do want to take your agronomic questions as well. Uh, just today, we aren't in the studio. We're broadcasting live from the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site following the Ag PhD Soils Clinic. If you have a question for us, you can email us radio at agphd.com. Uh, let's take another question from our audience here. Hi, I'm uh, Willem from here in South Dakota, and I got a. Oh, I got to tilt it. Um, I got a question similar to the last person. I got uh, a lot of my acres are pHs around five five, middle mid fives. Um, I got high mag and low calcium. Uh, would it work to use gypsum to add calcium, but also use the sulfur to strip out the magnesium? Well, if your pH is at 5.5, five, I'm using lime. So in his case, I'm assuming, well, I mean, he had, even in his best spot, it was 6.7. A lot of the people in sugar beet areas, their pH is high. It's well over 7. So that's a little bit different deal. When you're down at 5.5, uh, can you use gypsum? Sure, you can. And you might be able to strip out some of your magnesium. But more than anything, I'm raising that pH. 
because we know that at a 5.5, we are not at the ideal pH. We want to get that up into the sixes. Once you're up into the sixes, now I'm much more interested in using the gypsum. Sure. Okay. So what would you recommend to lower the uh, magnesium? I want to say it's like a 20 to 25 in but, some areas. On but the keep in mind, condition. with base saturation, those five nutrients are going to add up to 100% by increasing your calcium greatly. I mean, we're talking about a couple thousand pounds of calcium. Uh, that's big. That's a thousand parts per million. You're going up on calcium in one shot. Uh, you're going to decrease your mag percentage just like that. So I would do that first. That's the big change. Yep. And then just see what happens over three and, years. And and here's the other thing. And so back oh, to, and, to and be more patient than Brian. So I can tell that you're younger than Brian and me. You've got time. Uh, just put some lime on there and start working on some of the other ground. And say, okay, now that field, I'm just going to watch it over the next three years and see what it does, and then I'll make an adjustment once things kind of settle out again. And in the meantime, I'm going to focus on some other fields and get those going too. Yep, and, and here's the other thing. Okay, so and to go back to the, to the last question too. So in both cases, we had these questions on magnesium. Rather than focusing on, I got high magnesium soil, I have to drop it, let's look at everything else and make sure we're in pretty good shape on those nutrients. So I'm talking phosphorus, potassium, sulfur, copper, zinc, boron, magnesium. You see where I'm going with this. Let's get those things taken care of. What we found in our experience is if we take care of these other nutrients, that has a better ROI. That pays us back better than throwing a bunch of gypsum out there to try to strip some of the magnesium out. So... I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just simply saying I think I can help you get uh, more profit per acre and a better return by doing the other stuff first. So that's what I would do. Okay. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Another question over here. I, uh, Corey from Wisconsin. So I come from real sandy soil, CEC of three, organic matter of 1.2%. <laughs> yes. Irrig irrigated? Uh, no, not not yet. Okay. We um, But you can't. So you say not yet. That means you're planning to? As in we got a, we got the well up and running. Awesome. The, the field that I'm, I'm specifically talking about, the, yep. the two fields I'm specifically talking about, yep. we don't have water on them yet. Okay. okay. We got a couple traveling guns. That's about it right yep. now. Yep. So um, we've been spreading a lot of calcium lime on our ground. Yep. yep. Um, you brought up something earlier today about magnesium lime tightening yep. up the soil. Yep. How would how would how would magne magnesium lime would work for our ground tighten up the soil with water retention? Yep. And then would it help or or um, organic matter growth and stuff like that? I hey, this this is a good question here. And on, on page twelve, if you, you look back at just our how to read a soil test slide, you can see on magnesium on the base saturation, we've got a range of twelve to twenty percent. So on that type of soil, we'd we'd try to be more towards that twenty. Uh, so not saying we have to be uh, well, like your neighbor there sitting a few seats down from you at 30 plus. Uh, but uh, if you get it up just a little bit towards the higher end of the range on that light soil, that can help a little bit. But OK, so, yes, it can help the more. Ma OK, well, first of all, what's your magnesium percentage? You know what that is? Our our magnesium percentage right now is 18.8. Uh, oh, OK. okay. Well, you're already there. You're yep. already there. 
Yep. I mean, if you pushed it just a little bit more, it's probably not going to hurt. We just don't want to get super carried away. Nope. I think that's close enough because you think yep. about it. Is that soil test exactly perfect? Well, no. I mean, it's not 100% perfect in uh, representing every ounce of that field, but I'd say you're pretty close right now. I'd leave that alone and focus on other things. But you asked about would it help increase organic matter. The only way it's going to help increase organic matter is if you get better growth out of your plants, and that can mean more organic matter build in your soil. That would be the only thing. So we want to make sure that we have decent magnesium levels, which it sounds like now you do for your soil, and then we want to have the potassium kind of in ratio. One to one or two to one magnesium to potassium kind of ratio, or like we say in the base saturation there, get your potassium levels at least in the four to eight percent range, and now we're feeling pretty decent about that. But it's a very light soil. So even if you were at 8% base saturation K, that might only be 130 parts per million of potassium. It might not be much. So my point is you're still going to have to continue to throw more out there. So once you put in irrigation, if it's me, I would be every single pass I made across that field. It would have nitrogen, sulfur, and boron for sure, guaranteed. And mid-season, I would consider adding some potassium. Uh, and that way, with with as light as your soil is, we should be able to push that down into the ground. So I would consider a mid-season application of potassium as well. That's very, very light soil. Okay. Then, like, we also grow alfalfa, too. Would yep. you recommend magnesium lime before alfalfa or to raise the pH for yes. alfalfa? Yep, I sure would. Now, I again, I'm not going to get real carried away, but with alfalfa, we want to make sure that pH is real close to 7. And then also, too, how would you put calcium out for alfalfa then? Uh, or, or well, ma high oh. magnesium lime has a lot of calcium in it too. Okay. But, yeah, so it's still mainly calcium, just with a little more magnesium than you'll see in the, the calcitic lime. But the thing is with lime, with gypsum, with a lot of these forms of calcium that you can get, they will leach down through that soil, especially as light as your soil is. Here's the last thing that I'll leave you with. It's just because you have basically beach sand out there. Don't think it can't be productive. I've, we've said it a couple times today, but some of these super high-yield farmers, they have exactly the kind of soil you're dealing with. But what they're doing is they're constantly putting nitrogen, sulfur, and boron on, and then they're doing everything they can to try to build organic matter because it might not seem like much, but if you can take your organic matter from 0.8% to 1%, it might be 30 bushels of corn, and I'm serious. So you just have to really manage things. But the good news is you can change stuff, I mean, in almost no time in your soil. For us with our super heavy ground where we have almost no rainfall, it just takes forever. And that's why Darren talks all the time how impatient I get. It's like, oh, my gosh, I've been waiting for three years, five years. How long is it going to take here? But in that sand, if you got irrigation going, I mean, one year, and you could change almost anything you wanted to. Hey, alfalfa, it's good that you recognize how much calcium and magnesium are coming out. For every one ton of dry matter alfalfa hay that comes out, it's about 20 pounds of calcium and 5 pounds of magnesium. So if over a four-year time period with Wisconsin kind of alfalfa yields, uh, that's a significant amount of calcium and magnesium coming out. So way to stay on top of those two. Thanks for the question. Uh, get another one right here. Uh, Rich from South Dakota. Years ago, I went to a seminar by Dr. Dan Scow, and he was really an advocate of calcium-magnesium ratios. Yep. 
and uh, my pHs are running. I was just checking them. We're running mostly in the sixes, maybe low sevens, uh, but my magnesium's a little high. My CEC is running upper teens to low 30s. Okay, so a little heavier soils. And yeah, pH, you know, just on either side of, of neutral, which honestly on our farm, that's where our best yields have come. If we're, as long as we're not uh, past 7.5, so, that oh, kind of thing. So do, so do you have a question or? Yeah, the calcium magnesium, my magnesium is high in relation. I probably okay. run in, in the 5, okay, so got 7 pH. to 1 is probably the best I'm doing, but a lot of it's in that 5, maybe 6 to 1. Gotcha. All right, we'll, okay. get after, we'll get to that question right after this short break. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. Experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids. Extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. How can Naturals products help you raise bigger and better crops? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. Biologicals, or Naturals as we call them, are impacting every facet of agriculture today, and that will only grow in the future. That's why we're devoting a full day to our Ag PhD Naturals workshop, Wednesday, February 7th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of Naturals products, and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Do you want to optimize the amount of plant nutrition provided by the microbes in your soil? Source it. Want to replace 25 pounds of nitrogen and phosphorus per acre? Source it. Looking for a more cost-effective way to unlock your crop's potential and increase ROI? Source it. Easy to handle, apply, and store. To make your fertilizer plan more efficient, source it. Learn more at sound.ag.
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting following the Ag PhD Soils Clinic. So we're not in our studio. We're not taking phone calls today. But you can still email us if you have a question, radio at agphd.com. Uh, and we're kind of getting to those questions as we can. But we've got a live audience here, and we just had a great question before the break from Richard in South Dakota about calcium and magnesium. Uh, he had been to a presentation. They talked about uh, looking at the calcium to magnesium ratio, we talk about base saturations of calcium and magnesium. He's got high mag soils and right around a neutral pH, maybe a little above, a little below. What do you do in those situations? Okay, so one of the things we had talked about a little bit earlier today is the heavier your soil, the more you want to consider calcium, and the lighter your soil, the more you want to consider magnesium. So on this slide that I, I just pulled up on the screen here toward the bottom, we say you can loosen a tight soil with calcium, and we might want to have our ratio closer to that seven to one range. You can tighten a sandy soil with magnesium, and in that case, we might want to have our ratio a little closer to the three to one range. That's a big range. So for Darren and me also, going back 25, 30 years ago, we heard about this calcium-magnesium ratio thing. And then it wasn't until we started uh, doing some stuff with Neil Kinsey where it was basically, we felt like the stuff we had heard about the calcium-magnesium was kind of like the 101 class. And then we went to Neil Kinsey and it was like the 401 class, if you know where I'm going with this. He just said, hey, it's not one ratio for every single soil. You want to think about it differently depending on what soil type you're dealing with. So when we start talking about your ratio specifically, I just say, hey, on your heavier soils, that's usually, yes, where ideally we're looking for, we want to get that magnesium down to 12 to 14%, to something like that. But on lighter soils, you, you mentioned you had some medium textured soil. I might want to be, maybe it's 16% uh, magnesium or something like that if I could pick a number. But what we found is, we don't feel like we have to dial it in absolutely perfectly. We just want to get it in the general ballpark. So if I'm at 40% magnesium, okay, that's a lot of a problem. That could very well be a problem. But if I'm down to 22% or something, I'd, I'd really encourage you fix everything else. Let's do that first. Spend your money on that because I think that's going to give you a much better ROI. And then if you've got everything else that's amazing, well, then maybe if your magnesium is still in excess, let's start working on a little bit of gypsum or something like that to change the ratio a little bit and maybe flush a little bit of the excess magnesium out of the soil. We can flush excess magnesium out. We've done it. Uh, with uh, almost any form of sulfur, you can flush excess magnesium out. And this is one of the things, too, that we've talked to Neil Kinsey about. We're like, well, how do we know that the sulfur is going to remove the magnesium instead of more calcium or whatever? And he goes, look, I don't know exactly. All I know is it seems to strip out the excess. And it, it, we found that to be true on our farm, and that's exactly what he's said, too. So eventually, can you get there? Yes. But if you're spending money on gypsum or lime uh, just to change that ratio, before you're spending money on P or K or even some of the micros, I'm not going to advise you to do that. But eventually, sure. All right. All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, yep. There we and go. we're over here. Yeah, Josh Hardy from the extreme southern end of the Red River Valley. So, yeah, we're talking. And well, that's Red River Valley in North Dakota and Minnesota, not Red River Valley in Texas. But go ahead. That's right. That's exactly. <laughs> 
Um, so I'm interested in your project on page 18 where you put a bunch of potassium um, and the pH came down. We've yep. got a lot of 7 eighths and 8 pHs up there yep. that we've tiled, uh, but now we're trying to kind of get them kick-started. Um, have you seen, you know, you're, I think you're putting, what, 700 pounds of potash? That, is that cave? We did, yep, in that case. Or 500 yep. or something, you know, yep. high rate. Have you seen that yep. on, like, Rudder Valley type soils where that actually does drop the pH and actually increase the percent K? Because most of ours are one and a half, you know, and that's yeah. just where they want to stay. Yeah, so uh, I'll go back again to if the pH is high, something is out of balance. Something is probably in excess, but something could also be deficient. So is it possible that by adding a bunch of potassium that the soil pH could come down a little bit, just like ours came down a little bit? It's certainly possible. Have we seen that in other cases? I haven't really studied it enough to tell you, oh, for sure this is going to happen on your soil or anything else. But I just know this. Uh, we've had a lot of people we've talked to potassium about, and when we say, hey, one and a half is too low, and they put potassium on, it almost always helps yield, and it certainly is going to help the stock strength that you have there as well. So is it something that I'm going to be investing in? Yes. No question about it. And by the way, when you say soils like in the Red River Valley, some of our river bottom ground is super heavy also. We've got some 40-plus cation exchange capacity, super heavy, great black dirt, and that this is the kind of stuff that we're talking about. That's Well, even this, uh, it was uh, close to 30. So 29, 28, 26 cation exchange capacity, somewhere kind of in that range. So upper 20s to 30, uh, it's pretty heavy dirt. That's a 50 right next to the river. That's, uh, I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> well, okay, let's talk about that just real quick. The odds are 50 is not a real number. So what they do in a lot of cases with cation exchange capacity is they don't actually calculate it, uh, or I should say they don't actually measure it, they calculate it. So where I'm going with this is you can use a hydrometer and you can see what actually is my cation exchange capacity. But it's much simpler and cheaper to just run the numbers, and so all they do is look at, well, how much calcium, how much magnesium, how much potassium, how much of all these cations are there? We'll add all that up, bam, there's our cation exchange capacity number. You probably have excess lime in that soil, is, our, is my guess. Um, and certainly the magnesium can be through the roof as well. But the point is, if something is throwing that off, maybe your cation exchange capacity in reality is only 30 or 35. If let's say you had it pattern tiled at 25 foot spacings, um, you could flush excesses out over the next 10 or 20 years, and all of a sudden you would find your calculated cation exchange capacity would really drop. So I'd want to look at the soil test, and maybe I might have an inkling of what could be off there. But here's my point. If, let's say, your cation exchange capacity is overstated, then that means that your potassium base saturation percentage is going to be understated. So all of a sudden, instead of it being a one and a half, it might actually be a two and a quarter, two and a half, something like that, so you're closer. But even if you were shooting for four, and in reality it got to five or six, it's not going to hurt anything, it's probably actually going to continue to help. So anyway, I know I just gave you a lot to think about there, probably more than when you asked the question. But, uh, yeah, if you want to show us the tests, we can sure look at it. Thanks. Okay, got another question over here. All right, how y'all doing? Uh, Bill from Mississippi. 
Uh, yeah, it's a lot of snow. First time for me. <laughs> <laughs> you can take it home with you if you want. That's fine with and us. And you picked the coldest week of the year to come, too. So, anyway. Hopefully the coldest hey, week wh- of the year. Wh- Hopefully it doesn't get worse. Hey, let me throw this out, too. Uh, and I apologize, but I, I just got to say this. So, a lot of times when we talk to people from the extreme south, they don't realize that when it gets this cold, literally we had wind chills of 50 below zero here, it's so cold the ice can't even survive. And you may laugh, but I'm dead serious. The ice will literally evaporate off the roads. So, I mean, the last two days, I've been driving full speed on the roads, cruise set, no problem, and we just had a blizzard. And it's 20 below zero with 50, 50 below windshield. That's what happens. Ice evaporates. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, we've had like less than an inch, and the whole state done shut down. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so the question, um, soil test, and I'm hearing everything from Malik to Olson to this or that. Yep. So, you know, from me being in the south with the universities, we run, well, 100% of my soil tests are... Lancaster and how those values compare to um, the um, ranges that y'all have up there. Yeah. uh, So I'm not familiar with that. I've never even heard of that before, which I find unusual because we're sent all kinds of stuff all the time. So I, uh, during the break, I'll, I'll maybe look that up and see if I can find anything. But there are conversions to a lot of common from one soil test to another soil test method. There are a lot of conversions out there. So maybe there is something that would convert over to Malik 3 that we commonly talk about. And it's a little surprising because in the South, I mean, Malik 3 is super common. Right, right. Uh, and because everything is based on Malik, uh, I did a Sabas. Hey, I'll tell you what. we got to go to a quick break. Hang on with us. We'll come right back to you right after the break. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. The hardworking independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example. Talk openly and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health through awareness, guidance, and action. Together, we can uproot the stigma. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll answer that question at our free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop Thursday, February 8th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep into your best options for control of yield-robbing pests, trade options including ExtendFlex and Enlist, fertility, and much more. If you want to make raising beans more lucrative and more fun, come to the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. 
Because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year, BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine, the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We are broadcasting live from the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day following the Ag PhD Soils Clinic. If you think, oh no, it's workshop season and I missed an Ag PhD workshop, well, hey, you can live stream our workshops uh, through Acres TV. Just go to agphd.com to check out exactly how you get into those things, or you can just come here tomorrow. Uh, we've got a corn workshop coming up tomorrow, and then next month in February, we've got a naturals workshop and a soybean workshop back-to-back. -back. Uh, our last question just came from a gentleman from Mississippi. I know we've got people here from all over the United States, and we've got some folks that have come down from Canada. They really like it when we do these meetings on back-to-back -back days. So they can just get a hotel room, catch a couple meetings while they're here, uh, maybe stick around a little after the meetings, ask a few more questions. That's great, too. Uh, so if you get a chance to, to come to some of our workshops, we would love to have you here. The best part is the cost is free. You leave with a, a pretty detailed workshop book to, uh, to give you a nice resource to try and address things throughout the season. All right, before the break here, we had a question um, about the Lancaster soil test and how that compares with Malik 3. And we've got soil test comparisons with, uh, we mentioned the Olson test for phosphorus. We mentioned the Bray tests. Uh, and, and certainly the Malik tests here. There, there's lots of different tests out there that will get used in different geographies and different countries. And so that can make it a little bit challenging because some tests use a stronger acid to try and pull nutrients out to estimate how many will be available this year. Uh, others leave the, the sample soaking longer. Those kinds of things use different extraction methods. So yeah, that's why those numbers are so different. That's why you can split a sample up and send it to five different labs and get five wildly different numbers sometimes. Uh, what I like to look for if I'm comparing labs is, okay, let's all run the Malik 3 extraction or whatever the common one is just to see, okay, do they all come up with the same answer? That, that gives uh, probably the best data. Anything you've got, Brian, you want to add to this discussion yet, or should I just take no, the next question? I, I, and we come back to it maybe after. Well, the show I don't right? know. Yeah, I don't know that we're going to, I'm going to be able to figure anything out here that quickly. So let's put it this way. I'll, we'll put it out to our listeners. If anybody has anything that's listening today where you have some kind of correlation for us between Malik 3 or any other common soil test versus the Lancaster, we just aren't familiar with that one. All right, let's take the next question here. Uh, Rich from South Dakota, I got a curveball for you. Uh, years ago, again, I was at a pro farmer seminar, and there was a guy from Wisconsin that was soil testing every two weeks, and yep. he had something that was really throwing him off because 
his pH was going up and down every two weeks. It was up and down and up and down, and finally they were looking, and Jerry Carlson said, throw a moon phase chart over it, and it followed directly. Have you got any experience with that? I do not. No, we haven't done that, but I will say this. If you think about it for just a second, plants, they don't just bring in water and nutrients. They also kick out organic acids into the soil, which will at least temporarily lower that pH. The other thing that we found is we've tested soil as you go down deeper into the soil in about that range of, let's call it four to nine inches, somewhere in there, we very commonly find that's the lowest pH and it's higher above and it's higher below. And when you stop and think about that, where are the most roots? In a lot of our fields, four to nine inches, they're kicking more acids out into that profile right in that area and lowering the pH again, at least temporarily. So yeah, we've never done a study like that. I guess we've tested all kinds of other stuff. I'm surprised we haven't done that, but uh, maybe we should and test even every week out of the year and just see what happens to our pH over time. Oh yeah, uh, bring him the microphone back there if you could. So go ahead. Well, the reason I bring that up is, you know, okay, you're talking about the pH in the soil. Yep. If that's really the case, then when you soil your sample based on the phase of the moon could affect your pH. Yeah, so I've, I've certainly never seen it based on the phase of the moon. I've never heard of that before. But again, yeah, we could, we could definitely test it. Um, all I can tell you is there have been so many studies on this soil pH thing over the years and depending on the crop, uh, each crop has kind of its range of ideal soil pH that it likes. And that test is done either at the very end of the year or at the start of that year, not in season. So that's usually what we're going by. So maybe, uh, I mean, maybe it's possible. Corn actually likes a five and a half pH in the middle of the season. I, I honestly, I don't know because we've never really tested that. We just know that at the beginning of the season, we like it in the sixes, and it seems like that's where we're maximizing yield. But, yeah, it's a good thought, and uh, actually I'm going to write a note to myself. Uh, this year we'll probably uh, work on that. Let's take another question here. Yeah, Dan from South Dakota here, and uh, you've given us a lot of information today, a lot of things to cover, a lot of broad um, variety in the room and stuff like that. I guess my question is what – can we take away from a day like today and kind of think about checking, looking into going into the spring and stuff like that? Where, what are some common things we can be looking for? Well, the big thing I would say is, is actually pull some soil tests on your farm. If you don't have good recent data, I know uh, uh, earlier question today, well, we don't have any tests that we've pulled recently. Take one field. And a lot of times we, we bring stuff up and uh, we'll talk about building to nutrient levels that might be much higher than you're at right now try things on one field. And I, I look at it like this. If I've got, say that I live in the country and I own the 40 acre field right next to my driveway, that's probably where I'm going to start first trying to make things be great. Cause I'm going to drive by that every day. Uh, my wife's going to drive by that every day. I want I want that to look really good. And so if you start thinking about some of these things, yeah, these are lessons that we've learned over a long period of time. We've pulled information from people that have been around a lot longer than us. Uh, and when, when you see things that work over a long period of time, over a broad geography, uh, I feel pretty comfortable trying some of those things first. And I would say this too, as you're building nutrient levels, build them all at the same time. 
So if you say, okay, I can't go to 7% base saturation potassium right off the bat, that's fine. But you can make the move from 2 to 3. Bring all your other nutrient levels up a little bit along the way. That keeps things in balance. I mean, if you've got something that's a zero and you say, well, that one i got to bring along a lot faster, sure. But uh, Brian mentioned before, like, if you put all your phosphorus out and say, well, this year I'm going to get all my phosphorus up to this huge number and you don't bring the micros along, now all of a sudden you got some problems. So I would try to just start building everything up as you can. The other thing that uh, since Brian and I are getting to be a little bit older now and we've got some farm ground. What do you mean? For, we're young farmers. We still. are. We're still below the average age of the farmer in the United States. But still, we've been farming enough now that that we've built up some equity. And so, like, for example, this this week, I just picked up uh, another 47 acres of ground. And on that 47 acres of ground, uh, if we had not been farming that ground and it was really poor fertility, uh, just say for an average number, just say the ground costs $10,000. If I had to put $500 of fertilizer in to get everything up to the excellent level, I would do it immediately. I would get that done as fast as I could because I don't want that ground to take 100 years to pay for. I want it to pay for itself as quick as it can. So if I get up to that great level on fertility, instead of shooting for 200 bushel corn, I'll be shooting for 270 like Brian was saying on our best field last year. Awesome. Well, if I'm getting 270, I got 70 times hopefully $5 for corn or more, I got a lot of money that I could pay for that fertilizer, and I might pay for it in just a couple of years with my added yield. So those are some of the things that we're doing. Uh, and as far as for you, I, I would say, depending on where you're at, everybody's at a different spot. We get some guys, it's their first time here. Other guys, hey, I've been to every soils clinic you've done for the last 10 years. Cool, so you're probably further down the road on this. But just go home pull some soil samples, and then go through them and read every number on there and understand what it is. Make your own recommendations for your farm. Do some variable rate applications to get your ground up to a really good level and see what kind of results you get. Here's my one word for you. Determination. So my point is this. You are absolutely smart enough. Everybody in this room is absolutely smart enough to know how to read a soil test. It is not that difficult. It's just like anything else, though. It's the first day you drove a tractor. Were you an expert like you are today? The first day you did anything on the farm, you were not an expert. You need practice, and it all comes back to, deter are you determined to make this happen? Because honestly, the more that I think about it, the more that I think there's nothing more important I could leave my kids or grandkids than a knowledge of soils. Because fertilizer is only going to go up in price, and we're only going to need more fertilizer as our yields increase. We've got to learn this stuff. And if you are determined to do it, there's no reason why you can't. Just keep studying it, keep practicing it, try some things out on your farm, and you can absolutely get to wherever you want to go. Yeah, and if you're a young uh, potential farmer and you want to get in with your parents' operation or someone else's operation, you don't have a lot of equity that you're bringing. But if you can bring some of this knowledge about, hey, I know how to read soils and soil tests and build soils up, that could be really valuable too. Well, thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.